Welcome to Security Rules. This episode is brought to you by Tooth and Iris. Cloud native platforms have helped increase business agility and accelerate innovation. And in a cloud first world, the need to secure applications to protect sensitive information is as important as ever. To learn more about how Tooth and Iris helps cloud operation IT security teams regain visibility and control security policies, visit tufin.io. All right, well, welcome uh, to this episode of Security Rules. I'm joined by uh, my colleague Joe Schreiber, the technical director of Tiffin Technologies, a long-standing contributor to the IT security world. Uh, a number of different accolades in there. I don't think we need to go into all of them individually, but uh, long-standing hierarchy. And for those of you interested, you can check out some of the prior episodes. But for this one, Joe, um, I kind of wanted to cover something that as buzzworthy, um, at least in terms of the frequency that we hear about it, uh, but not necessarily one that I think is super well defined. Um, and that is uh, zero trust. I put some pedigree to it because that's, that's all I, I heard at uh, RSA from the different uh, presenters, right? Well, no, well, you either heard trust us or don't trust us, right? This binary action of trust uh, is what I heard a lot of at RSA. Yeah. Well, I, I, I met up with a, a former colleague, really boss, a, a mentor, and uh, he and I were kind of remarking that we were walking around and as we asked different vendors what they did, they would explain it and then they'd follow up with, and by that I mean, and like, it's like, could we lead with that? <laughs> is there ambiguity here? Yes yeah. or no, right? So um, zero trust is something that I'm reading a lot about, uh, I'm getting asked about in different ways that organizations can uh, start to apply the principles of it. Um, I don't necessarily want to get into the deeper elaboration of what it is and the, the broad scheme, but I thought what might be kind of interesting to explore is what zero trust is for the network security world. So zero trust from a networking perspective is really just kind of a, a sliver of the story, right? This idea that from a layer four perspective will allow you know, this IP or this subnet or so forth and that we give this uh, range or this IP an implicit level of trust, right? I, I think the thing to remember around zero trust in particular is that not everything we do is layer four based, right? And actually we've moved far past that and mo the majority of uh, authorization and so forth is in layer seven, right? So um, zero trust from a networking perspective, I think is pretty vanilla, is pretty cut and dry, but the other aspects of zero trust, let's, let's look at an application, right? We take the basic three tier application, uh, you know, app, web, DB, what have you, the zero trust implications to that are far more significant than the network layer, right? You're, you, you have a database that could have multiple databases attached to it. How do you make sure the user level access there is correct? How do you make sure that the application server only can access that DB or not others and so forth? And so you start walking down this long chain of um, almost impediments in a way to get people to implement zero trust in an existing environment. And I think that's why uh, you haven't seen such a prevalence because zero trust in a greenfield or blue sky makes a lot of sense, right? Because mm -hmm. you can really create those mechanisms, you can test it, and you won't, more importantly, interrupt the business when you do that. Why did we stop at layer seven? What about layer eight? <laughs> layer eight, the human component, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, usually the weakest point in the chain, absolutely. 
Um, you know, I think, you know, we address that through other mechanisms like social uh, or security awareness training and so forth, right? We really try to educate around that problem. But I, I think one of the promises of zero trust is that you can actually defend against that, right? Either whether it be accidental or ignorance or what have you, whatever that is, zero trust should limit your damage. Again, right, we're going back to this concept of least privilege, meaning that person, that account, that network endpoint only has access to do what it needs to do, uh, which means less worry, less risk, and so forth. So I'll bring up an anecdote from a time before time, at least for me. Were um, there dinosaurs I, involved in this one? Or? They were dinosaurs in terms of uh, server farms, of large organizations that hired us to um, exploit them, right? So penetration testing. Um, one of the most effective ways that we were able uh, to get inside an organization was specifically to target people in IT or security. Um, the reason there being that those guys typically had credentials to a lot more than they should. Um, and also by the token, they were empowered, right? Um, you know, security in a lot of ways has the widest view of the land and how it operates. Uh, so one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting in some of the conversations I've been having recently is the division of responsibilities. Because um, I think about security policy as something that um, kind of requires getting divided up into a couple different pieces. Um, you know, one is kind of the actual design of it, right? What 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 is the security policy? Uh, the second one will kind of be the enforcement. And I think the third one would kind of be the validation aspect of it. Um, but a lot of times, I feel like all three of those, all three of those responsibilities, are given to one person, and that within itself, um, I, I kind of think is a little bit of a, a security risk itself. Because um, earlier, when I joked around a little bit about layer eight, um, I think security professionals themselves are actually pretty valuable targets um, for for exploitation, given not only their uh, visibility over the network and command of it, but the access uh, to. Or, or the knowledge, right? I, I think that's uh, a scary problem that we haven't really talked much about and maybe a, a, a diversion here, right? But if we, if we think about the number of people on the planet that can potentially exploit a given system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually very low, right? Uh, as you said, right, there's a very small percentage of people that can do active, new, or as they say, zero-day exploits and so forth. I'm not so worried about what they do. I'm more worried about what happens to them from a physical perspective. Mm-hmm. When you say they become ideal targets, uh, I look at them as weapons that can be repointed somewhere else. right? And that's a, a deeper concern for me rather than the computer networking and so forth that they're putting their hands on keyboards with. Um, you know, Let's get more into the physical security of these prize researchers that we have. I mean, I, I just think about really the number on the, uh, the number of people on the planet it comes down to one hand sometimes with mm-hmm. a lot of these systems. And if you can uh, take advantage of that person, right, from that layer eight perspective and uh, coerce them to do something uh, malicious, right, that is a, a far more pernicious problem than, uh, you know, letting someone uh, have a password pass expiration or something like that from a policy perspective. Yeah, coerce or capitalize, right? I mean, you know, sign up for Black Mirror. Uh, you can find your own scenarios of different ways that people are individually exploited. Um, yeah, but to your point, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting point of exploration, one that's you know kind of deeply disturbing because uh, I always think towards um, 
SCADA systems specifically. This is, this is always the thing that's kind of worried me. And or ICS, uh, yeah, right? yeah. ICS terminology, so right? The acronym <laughs> game uh, yeah. always kills me at the end of the day, right? I would have said sensors, but sure, yeah, we'll we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll uh, acronymize uh, that one as we can. Um, but these the ability to actually make changes to different things uh, and influence structure. Um, I, I find it be kind of scary, not only because uh, there's access to it, but the actual ability to impact uh, a broader scenario. So, for example, uh, can you taint drinking water uh, with sewage? And what does that do to the city? Can you uh, manipulate the power grid uh, to cut out power and maybe coordinate an attack? You know, th- those are things that I start to see as kind of the convergence of cybersecurity uh, and homeland security, uh, too. And I guess I said homeland security in kind of the traditional sense. Um, but in a zero trust world, ideally what happens is that the access, even when it's compromised, uh, a security professional, they themselves should not have the ability to influence those changes, right? There should be several different tiers of uh, approval and process uh, in place. So, I mean, that's absolutely where the, the layered approach comes in. But I think to your point about you know, security being one organization or one person encompassing all aspects of security is also flawed, right? Because, I mean, I, I think of the classic, uh, who will watch the watchers, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when you start pointing those tools like user behavioral analytics and so forth at the actual people uh, doing the practitioner work, I think that's how you lo- really look at those insider threats, mm-hmm. um, which is what we're, we're really talking about here, which has been a really kind of unspoken problem, as you say, right? You have someone in your organization that has access, and then they potentially have the access to remove the logs that represent their own access as well, making them an extremely dangerous problem. But these folks shouldn't be able to get away from the oversight of the products that we have today, whether it's, you know, uh, SIM platforms and so forth, or read-only logs. Uh, all those mechanisms are at your disposal to be watching the watchers, right? Because I think about retail environments, and you go inside of them, and you look and and you look at where the cameras are pointed, right? You think, oh, they're here to protect us. No, no, no. They're pointed at the tills, right? They're pointed mm-hmm. at the employees because the employees are actually the more dangerous aspect of that business. And I think. Maybe not that kind of extreme uh, measures need to be taken in IT, but I think this idea that the security folk is, uh, folks are unapproachable or unmonitorable or something is a, is a flawed concept for sure. Yeah, and it's not even to say it's malicious intent on their end, right? I mean, you know, we're all humans. We're all you know, flawed in our own rights oh, in different yeah. ways. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I, can't, I, I probably can't count the amount of machines I accidentally rebooted. Right. You know, I thought I was on one shell and I was in a different box or so forth. And to your point, uh, I'm human. Right. But if we had a least privileged system, maybe I wouldn't have been able to log into that box and I wouldn't have been uh, been able to reboot it without root privileges or so on. Right. So it's important, uh, you know, but I I think the concern or the, the pushback is always about efficiency and will I be able to do my job and so forth. But I think it's all about the business first and then and then your job second. So Joe, uh, zero trust itself, buzzwordy idea, but I, I think we understand the idea of least access. Um, but I think you also re- or recently wrote about a few other different ways to approach kind of that least access security. I know there's different terminologies for them. Um, what are some of the other ways you've seen organizations undertake security? 
Well, I think, uh, you know, one buzzword that's been going around is, is micro-segmentation, uh, of course. Uh, in those environments, right, you have kind of this built-in, least-privileged type system through micro-segmentation. But I think the one that has probably more promise is the positive security model, right, which effectively is uh, least-privileged. That is, let's only give access to what is needed um, versus this zero trust mechanism where you're potentially trying to ascertain and then reduce privileges, whereas with the positive security model, you're only enabling what they need. So as soon as you create that account, it has those uh, uh, restrictions tied, tied to it and so forth, and then you keep that chain going. Do you think that's um, a more approachable solution for kind of the more, let's say, uh, recent companies or newer ones that are probably using cloud and probably exclusively cloud? Or do you think that's something that can also be used by kind of legacy environments? No, actually, I think, you know, you look at the, the cloud providers. Uh, I, I think Amazon is a great example, classic S3 bucket, right? How long did it take Amazon to make S3 buckets private by default, right? Um, so just because you have these cloud security controls doesn't mean that someone turns them on, right? Which is an important aspect to that. Um, I still think you know you have this idea, or you need this idea of monitoring, monitoring, monitoring. A lot of times you go into uh, cloud and so forth, and you—that's the first thing you give up right away because you assume with the shared responsibility model or what have you that all these things will be taken care of for you. Um, but you're still going to have to manage that environment, whether it's in the cloud or not. And that instrumentation of what users are doing, what they have access to, it's really important to keep a uh, good eye on. So, Joe, I, I think that was an interesting and, and brief kind of coverage of Zero Trust and some of the other security practices here. So thank you very much for your participation in today's episode of Security Rules. All right. Thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Tooth and Iris. Cloud-native platforms have helped increase business agility and accelerate innovation. And in a cloud-first world, the need to secure applications for tech-sensitive information is as important as ever. To learn more about how Tufan Iris helps cloud operation IT security teams regain visibility and control security policies, visit tufan.io.